Welcome, everybody, to this Texas Values Teletown Hall with Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. This is Jonathan Sines, President of Texas Values. Great to be with you on this afternoon here in our great state of Texas. If you're not familiar with Texas Values, we're the largest organization in the state of Texas that works on the issues of faith, family, and freedom. We've got 12 members of our team. One of them is going to be on this call with me, Jonathan Covey, who's our Director of Policy. We've got over we got uh, supporters of our organization in all 254 counties of the state. When it comes to issues of faith, family, and freedom, if it's in the courts, the legislature, or the media, Texas Values is a part or leading on those type of issues. But we're excited today because we've got a special guest, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. I'm going to invite Lieutenant Governor Patrick to say hello, and then we're going to do an opening prayer, and we're going to get this Teletown Hall started. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, welcome to our Teletown Hall. Thank you. I can never enthusiasm for anything. You are just you, you come out of the gate flying, so uh, it's good to be with everybody on the call, and uh, I look forward to uh, uh, kind of giving you an overview and answering some questions from Jonathan and then taking your questions. So the best part of the call is always the prayer. So go ahead, Jonathan. Amen. So let, let's start in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to invite you into this time with us, with our Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and members of our team, and hundreds of Texans from all across the state. We're grateful that we live in a state in our country where we have the religious freedom that we have to invoke your name. But we know that there, these are trying times, and there's a lot to look at in a lot of ways that we can also do a better job at fulfilling our role. So please be with us during this time. Please keep us safe. Please, we look after those medical workers and all the people that are on the front lines looking for uh, a cure and looking for ways to handle the coronavirus and the many other issues that are coming up that are important in our state. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you, everybody, for being on this call. We are glad to have Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. And just so I can properly introduce him, our Lieutenant Governor first served in the Texas Senate from the great city of Houston, where I uh, was born and raised in 2006. He was elected and served in the uh, Texas Senate and the legislature uh, for many terms. And during that time, distinguished himself as a leader when it comes to the issues of faith, family, and freedom, religious liberty, pro-life, and family values. And he continued that legacy with his leadership becoming our lieutenant governor in 2014. And in that role has been leading these efforts as well with the members of the Senate and the voice that he has on important issues. He's been a successful businessman, and he also has been married to his wife, Jan, a former school teacher, for 43 years, if not more, um, if, if that hasn't been updated on your website, sir. And he's also proud parents of his son, Ryan, his daughter, Shane, and proud grandparents of six grandchildren. Senate Governor Patrick, it's great to be with you today. Hey, thank you, Jonathan. Um, great to be with you all. And let me say something that... Uh, I've known Jonathan before I was uh, first in office because we did some events together. But uh, since we've been in office, uh, Jonathan and this organization have been key, absolutely key in passing all of the conservative pro-life, pro-family, pro-religious liberty that we've passed. Uh, sometimes people have asked me, you know, what are the things that, that uh, I'm most proud of? And there are lots of things that I'm proud of. Um, and there are lots of things that we still have to get done. But um, uh, my first session, I put in God We Trust in the Senate chamber for the first time ever. And then our, our, um, our sonogram bill that we passed in 2011 after trying for three sessions. Uh, and that bill, if you did not know, uh, has reduced our abortions in Texas 
by almost uh, 20,000 per year. We led the nation with abortion with 80,000 a year, and our, we're now down in some years 55 or 60. Uh, once we said that a woman uh, has the right to see the sonogram when she goes in for a, 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 uh, an abortion, because I'd worked with crisis pregnancy centers and saw uh, before I had gone into office and saw the impact they had, and so and and all, every step of the way, this organization has been uh, right there with us and really helping to get the votes for us and and get the word out and get support. So, Jonathan, we appreciate all of that. So let's let's talk about what's at hand, and that's the coronavirus. Um, and I know we'll have a lot of questions later, but uh, Jonathan, if if you uh, have a lead questions, particularly, yes, you want sir. me to just give a general overview? So go ahead with the lead question. Well, and look, we, and we're going to touch on the life issue a little bit later in this call because that's been yeah. an important thing. The amount of lives that have been saved because with your support, Governor Abbott and our Attorney General Ken Paxton halting non-necessary medical procedures during the coronavirus, which at least for two weeks, if not uh, more than 14 days, resulted in the first time in history that Roe versus Wade, since Roe versus Wade, that abortions were stopped in uh, what we think is potentially 2,000 lives saved. And I know a lot yes. of people, though, are, are looking at the bigger, a lot of how a lot of these issues touch people. A big press conference yesterday that you were a part of with um, the Speaker of the House and our Governor, Greg Abbott, about the latest efforts to reopen Texas. Tell us a lot, some about those things and how you feel about those issues. Sure. Uh, so I don't know how many of you saw the press conference, so I'll, I'll do a quick recap and also share the comment that I made yesterday. First of all, uh, we are very blessed in Texas. Uh, if if we had seen the numbers that were given to the governor, myself, and the speaker early on, early by being end of February, early March, but particularly towards early March or mid-March when they started giving us numbers, I'm talking about Dr. Fauci, the CDC, they were predicting 2.2 uh, million Americans dying, which would have been you know, based on our population uh, of the country, could have been two to 300,000 Texans dying. Um, and I'm so glad that Dr. Fauci was wrong on this number. You know, for those of you, who, and I know you know who Dr. Fauci is, uh, back in late January, he was on CNN or Newsmax or NBC, some network other than Fox, and he was asked a question about the coronavirus, and he said, I don't think it's going to have much of an impact on America. That was January 26th. By the middle of March, he said 2.2 million. And then three weeks after that, 100 to 200,000 may die. And, and so whenever we're asked about what science we're following, I ask the question, what science are we following? Because the truth is, and I respect all of these people, they're much smarter than I. These are very brilliant people, some of the leading uh, doctors in the world. But they've just been wrong. And they're wrong is because they didn't have the right data. China, we don't believe anything China has told us. We, we don't believe anything. So you have to take them off the table. So the only models they were looking at was Italy and, and Spain. Well, we're not Italy and Spain. First of all, our health our care, you know, if you were doing a scale of 1 to 10, maybe they're a 3. And, and in America, our health care system is second to none. We're a 10. And, and our population is a healthier population than most other countries. And, and Italy also is one of the oldest populations in the world. So those were bad data to look at as well, those two countries. So, so they were off in their modeling, and, and they didn't have the data. Well, we now have the data. What does it say? 
Well, it says the following. In Texas, and whenever I say this number, in any case, when you say only several died, whether you know, it's, it, you know it was a hotel fire and everyone got out, of, only six died. Well, if you're one of those six, it was terrible for those families. So I'm not, I'm not diminishing any life that has been lost so far in Texas. But we have 29 million Texans. And of today, we've had 663 people die. 663 people die, 75% over the age of 70. And almost all, not all, but almost all in poor health, other poor health conditions. So how many healthy people and younger people, and I'm a senior, by the way, so I'm, not, you know, I'm, I'm, in, that, I'm in that group, um, but how many younger people have been impacted by this, under 60, or healthy people in terms of, of dying, hardly any. In fact, uh, and that's nationally. If you take out New York and New Jersey, which are 25% of the 57,000 people who have died, uh, we have about 40,000 uh, people in the entire country that have died, and that's a, and it's a tragic death. It's a lonely death for those people who go to the hospital and, and are separated from their loved ones. But we have, we have based a policy on this lockdown of Two million that was predicted, or three hundred, you know, two to three hundred thousand Texans. I mean, we're at six sixty-three, and our hospitalizations have stayed steady at around fourteen hundred. We flattened the curve, and so it was time to open up. And some of you, I know, watch Fox regularly, I'm sure, and you've seen me. I've been on a lot. I was on this morning again, and I was with Tucker Carlson back on March twenty-third, and I said, "Look, um, we have to save this country for for our grandkids and and and, and our children." And, and, I, and I said on that show, I feared we would go into a full depression. And I had some people, I will tell you, that said, Dan, don't use that D word, depression. Depression. I mean, that was before 25 million people were put out of work. That's before everybody was closing their business. It was before, before, before everything that happened. And today we have the modern equivalent of the soup lines that you see in those old black and white movies from the crash in 1929, except the soup lines today are a little bit more modernized. There are people in cars backed up for miles for a box of food. And, and we have to reopen this economy. So yesterday's, and I've been saying that, that we can do both. We can protect the vulnerable and the seniors, and we can, and we can let everyone else get back to work and get back to life. So we've opened uh, with a cautious step. Uh, all retailers, as of this Friday, the first, can open up. Uh, all restaurants can open up. We were asking them to do it at 25% of capacity, give them a chance to break in as well, you know, break in their employees to this new system and all the protocols that they will follow. And we hope uh, if we continue on this, this trend where we have flattened the curve that, you know, in another few weeks we'll increase it to 50% and then maybe by the end of the month to, you know, be closer to where we were. Now, I, I will say this. Um, and by the way, to be clear, what the governor and I and the speaker also talked about yesterday was that for counties that have less than five cases, you can open up your businesses at 50 percent. Um, and we have out of our 254 counties, we have 51 counties that don't have any cases. Now, doesn't mean they don't have the virus. They do. They just that they haven't been tested. Look, I, I, I wish I could see a show of hands here, but just ask yourself this question. How many of you on this call? know someone because of COVID who has been in the hospital or has passed away. And I hope, and I hope it's a no. But basically, when you have 600 people 
who have died, 663 as of today, out of 29 million and 1,500 in the hospital, the truth is most people in the state don't know anyone in that situation. And I hope that's the case for all of you. Well, so, we're talking with Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, giving updates about what's been happening in efforts to reopen uh, Texas, relations to the coronavirus. Just a quick reminder, I apologize, Lieutenant Governor, press sure, star sure, if sure. you want to ask questions. This is an interactive call. We're going to be taking questions very soon. Press star so we can get you in the queue, so to speak, and, and get start getting you set up so you can come on the line live to ask your question to Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, you, you were mentioning some of the details. We've got retail stores that are open, restaurants. Right. There's the 25% capacity, museums, libraries, um, and churches getting to expand more. Let's yes. talk about that for just a second. I want to bring in on that topic, Jonathan Covey, who's our new director of policy for Texas Values. He was a senior policy advisor for Senator Bob Hall. Before that, he was chief of staff for State Representative James White, and he's got an undergrad degree and, and law degree. Uh, Jonathan Covey, your turn to come in. Go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. It's it's great to be with you and uh, with the Lieutenant Governor on the call, and I appreciate the profitable discussion we're having so far. Welcome, Lieutenant Governor. Great to, great to be with you. Yes, sir. So we have um, so so we have this new guidance letter uh, and talking about um, churches, and we have the new guidance letter that came out yesterday uh, with freedom for churches to open, and um, similar to what we saw last week, Attorney General Paxton made it very clear that local governments uh, cannot shut down churches. Uh, local orders can't prohibit churches and houses of worship from meeting. Uh, at the same time, and, and, and in a very positive way, the, the guidance strongly encourages churches to stay informed, to take action on common sense, and try to contribute and help and slow the spread of COVID-19. So my question is, Governor Patrick, what are your thoughts on these guidelines in conjunction with houses of worship and religious liberty? Uh, thank you for, for thank you for that question. And in fact, I was on a call with about 900 pastors earlier today to talk about this topic. So, so I'm prepared for this uh, very well. I had a lot of questions. Uh, and, and and let me just close a loop on what I was saying. The reason we had the press conference yesterday, we began this second step of reopening, is because it's a team effort, and the most important members of the team are you, the 29 million people who live in Texas. Because people have taken this seriously and because people have followed the executive orders and the guidelines, um, we're in this position. And it's very important, whether it's going out to a restaurant again or going out to your you know, department store again or, or wherever it may be, um, or going to church, that, that we're not mandating, and I was very clear yesterday in my comments, we're not mandating that you have to wear a mask, but we are highly recommending you wear a mask. We're not mandating if you are 70 plus that you should stay at home longer, but we're suggesting that you, unless it's essential, may want to stay at home longer uh, because you are the most vulnerable one, particularly if you have any kind of illness. So with our churches, um, I would expect some churches may open this weekend uh, in small numbers. I think on Mother's Day, it may be uh, the big opening. Uh, I've been working with John Hagee from Cornerstone uh, church in San Antonio, and with Dr. Ed Young from Second Baptist, where I go in Houston, and 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 I also go to a cowboy church uh, when when I'm uh, in in Montgomery, where where I live, um, and talked with my pastor there, Randy Weaver, and pastors all over the state. 
And so we've come up with the following policies. Uh, and, and here's what we're recommending. So for a church, what should they do? Uh, they should uh, follow the guidelines of, of social distancing and have people not sitting any closer than six feet unless they're a family unit and they live together in that house. Now, let's say you go to church and you have your brother and sister, your uncle, or fr- they should be six feet away from you. They're in a different home environment. If you've been in a home environment, I mean, you can be close, but, but you know, you don't want all together. But if the three of you or four of you or six of you and your family go, to, then you sit together, but you're six feet away from someone else. Um, lots of churches will be taking temperatures of people coming in who have the scan thermometers. Uh, the church members will be wearing a mask, the choir um, it's hard to sing with a mask on. And so one of the things that the churches are, re- these are recommendations from the pastors, is there won't be a lot of singing from the members. Because, you know, when you talk, the particles come out of your mouth. So if you're singing at the top of the rafters, and we all want to sing and praise Jesus when we get back to that church and thank the Lord that we're healthy and we're there. But it may not be the best thing to do in terms of of shouting out praise right now, not pass a collection plate, for example, you know, put a box in the back where everyone can put their contribution, um, that no more bulletins, don't pass out any bulletins. Uh, and I know some of you on this call are church leaders. So, you know, look at some of these and listen to some of these recommendations. And if you, and I'll send up the job and, and he can send them out to everyone on the call as we did to all the pastors today. Um, the, the, if there, you know, if there's a, a hymnal, take the hymnal out, let them, Read the words off the back or hum along. Uh, if, if there's a Bible in the pew, just be sure it's wiped down and clean between each service. If you're a small church where you can't distance, because maybe you're at a church that has you know, 200 members and it's a small building, well, you're going to have to ask the pastor to have multiple services. Um, because here's, here's what's at stake. One of the things, and I've been working with a lot of businesses, and the pastors brought the same thing up today to me as the businesses have. I mean, I'm on the call, I'm on the phone 10 to 12 hours a day. I've not stopped, I've been off the phone except to do two interviews today. Um, and I'm talking to people all the time. And the biggest concern that churches have and businesses have, that people are actually going to come out. Because there are a lot of people, maybe some of you on this phone, who are very concerned. You have a right to be concerned. Just because we've been, you know, we leave in per capita, we're the lowest in the world of deaths in Texas. But it doesn't mean particularly if you have an immunity issue, if you're younger, but if you're 75 or 80 older, particularly, or even, you know, 65 or older, if you've got health issues, you're vulnerable. So you have to be careful. Um, I'm careful. Um, I don't live in fear. I live in faith. Uh, and a lot of people who are living in fear don't have faith. If you have faith, then you don't live in fear. But we have to be smart. You know, the Bible says, don't be worried, but be concerned. So I'm not worried. I'm in God's hands, but I am concerned. So be smart. Lord gave us a brain to be smart. So one of the things that we're suggesting to churches and the pastors are all going to tell their members, if you're 65 plus, don't come. Don't come to church too soon. And I know, and we talked about this on the call with the pastor today, there's going to be, they all, every pastor has members in the church who've been gone for 20 or 30 years. And, 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 and they're going to have this belief that, hey, pastor, you know, this is Mr. Jones here, pastor, and I've come here for 25 years, and by golly, if you open up, I'm going to be there. Well, we don't want Mr. Jones to come this first couple of weeks. Um, let the younger folks come. A lot of churches, they're not going to open up the nursery. They're not going to have Bible study because that puts people together. They're not going to have nursery, put all the kids together. So, so in terms of opening churches, the key is be smart, be safe, because we don't want someone who's ungodly 
We want the ungodly coming into church to get godly, but we don't want some who are out there to attack the church, which they are, and they are. They mock – you see it on the headlines now. Such and such pastor said God protected him, but he died. Such and such pastor, you know, insisted on how he died. Where was God? They don't understand. They just don't understand what's going on here. It wasn't God. And, and, and so – you know, there could be someone in the church, and they're going to be they're going to be looking for that video on that phone to see a bunch of people packed together. And so we got to we got to make sure the pastors follow these guidelines that they've created themselves, and that the and that the and the members who uh, and parishioners follow them. Um, no more hugging, no more handshaking for a while in church. No more peace be with you. You know, and just be smart. Go go to God uh, and just disperse a little bit more of that mass. So that that's kind of the that's the overview of the church. I've been pushing on this for weeks. I've been pushing on getting back to work for weeks. And uh, Ken, Ken Paxton, our great attorney general, we changed one word in the in the uh, former order. And the order said, if you're a church and you stream, you must stream as opposed to opening church. So we never closed down the churches. We just said you must stream. Well, now it's you should stream. So you, you stream if you can, but you know, open up the doors. Because whether it's two Sundays from now or October, at some point we're going to have to go back to church. And we're going to have these issues. These issues are going to be with us for a while. So, um, uh, and what I tell businesses and churches, since people are cautious about going out, they're going to be unsure for a while, they're going to come to where they feel it's safe, whether it's a restaurant or a business or a church. So we have to, it's a, two, it's a two-sided coin here. Um, the people who come must, must uh, follow the guidelines, and the people who host people coming to their business or their church must have a safe environment. Well, I think that's very well said, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, and I like what you said. I don't live in fear. I live in faith. Those are strong words. I want to uh, mention one other thing, too, and then we're going to go to questions because we're just getting a ton of questions here, and I know people are encouraged to have you on the line, so I want to let that opportunity play out as much as possible. But I did notice something, too, and I'm going to bring – and if people want to go to our website, txvalues.org, we have spent time breaking down these recent guidelines. We've been following this along the way. Religious liberty is one of the core things we do. I've litigated and been involved in policy on these issues for decades. So have members of our team that have been involved in this for many legislative sessions. There's really not a religious liberty bill that's been passed that we haven't been a part of creating or been involved in in some way. txvalues.org to check out those recommendations, those guidelines from the attorney general's office and the governor. And if you have questions, info at txvalues.org after this call. But Lieutenant Governor Fasher, I just want to bring Jonathan Covey back in about something that happened, uh, I guess, on East Texas where you were out. Um, I want to let you talk about that, um, speaking of really needing our faith in trying times, and then we're going to go to questions. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks, Jonathan. And I know we, we had talked about Lieutenant Governor, that you had been out to uh, Polk County and um, the uh, disaster that happened out there. I'm familiar with Polk County, having grown, yes. grown up near that area. I have a lot of contacts there. Could you tell us a little bit about your trip out there? Yes. Well, for those of you who don't know, Polk County is is on Lake Livingston. It's north of Houston. It's about an hour drive north west, northeast of Houston. And I will tell you that because I've been careful as well. Um, I'm 70, you know, and I have, I've got a heart and so I have to be a little careful as well. But again, I don't live in fear, but I'm smart. And, uh, you know, when we go to our press conferences, we've had three in Austin now. Um, we, you know, we, the governor, myself, and the speaker, there's the only people in the room are one cameraman. It's not like a gaggle of photographers and reporters. There's, you know, two reporters, one cameraman, and they ask questions on behalf of others. And the camera broadcast out to all the TV stations, all the networks. And there's, you know, uh, maybe five other people. So we're, 
we're careful as well. Um, uh, you know, especially since the governor the last 30 days has said, try to keep your groups to 10 and, uh, or, you know, and, and be careful. And so, uh, and quite frankly, and sadly, there's not a lot of places for us to go right now. There are no meetings. There are no events. There are no dinners. There are no things. And, but I've been out and about several days each week and doing different things in my job and, and working from home like a lot of others. But when I decided to go up last week, Jonathan, I, I realized that you know, I'm going to be up there with a lot of people. And, uh, but I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to you know, have my Perel or some type of sanitizer. I'm going to have my mask on. And I'm going to wipe down you know, different things that, that people touch, that I touch. And I got there, and I got to tell you, I pulled up to the emergency center, center and uh, there were probably 60 or 80 people there, and 80% of them didn't have a mask on. And, and so I put my mask on, and I walked in, and um, I said to one of the people up there working, I said, you know, you ought to have a mask on. And they said, well, I probably already have the virus, so, you know, it's nothing I can do to stop it. And I said, well, that's kind of not the point. The point is if you have it, we don't want you to give it. And these people up there were tremendous. I mean, they were great. But it was just hot. You know, it was just hot. And, and they didn't have their mask on. And, and, uh, and then I went and, and toured the, the damage, and I stopped and talked to lots of people, inspiring stories. And uh, only by the grace of God were some of these people saved. 303 homes totally destroyed, 173 partially destroyed, uh, several people in, in the hospital, three were killed. And, I, and I, I saw this lady, and I put the picture up on my Facebook um, uh, and, and on our email Sunday night. And if you're not on our email list, sign up danpatrick.org because we update everybody all the time. And there was this poor lady out there in this hot sun on Friday, disaster everywhere, around total debris, and she was picking up men's ties and putting them on a hanger it was the only thing she could find left of her house were some ties and i got out of the car and i walked over to her and she led me to her sister and her sister had been on a double wide bubble home and this hurricane came, i mean the tornado came in lifted her up knocked her unconscious and and threw her 50 yards in the air over to the up a hill on top of a house that had been destroyed and then her double wide fell on top of her. So she's thrown 50 yards in the air on top of a house. Her house comes on top of her. She, she slides down to the ground. She, she had a scratch on her leg. That was all. And, and, and I will tell you, since I've been lieutenant governor, we've had 70 people killed in domestic shootings. We've had Hurricane Harvey. We've had terrible things happen. It seems like we've never had a, really a day off since Abbott and I were elected. And this is, and this is the worst of all. And everywhere I go, whether it's visiting someone in a hospital who was shot in a domestic shooting, whether it was in the Harvey hurricane or this, I find the spirit of God and faith prevalent above everything. People praising the Lord, praising God, thankful for their life. They lost everything but ties. That's all they had left, ties. And they were thankful for God saving their lives. I'm, I'm just never, never... Um, I just, uh, I'm just always, always so impressed, and I never doubt that people, either through their faith that's lifted them up, or if they had no faith before, they have it now, like a lot of people. I, my saying is, the highest ground you can ever stand on is the rock of your faith, and a lot of people were already there, and a lot of people are climbing to that rock. Well, we, you, I couldn't have said any better than you did, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, and that's just to underscore the importance of the role that you're in, even during these trying times, meeting people where they are during these types of disasters. And also it's a reminder of our comprehensive view of being pro-life when, when life is lost in these ways, 
this similar, you know, it's a similar ethic of us wanting to protect children that are unborn. We know a lot of that work, um, all that work in Texas you support, and we're appreciative of that. And we've got a ton of calls. Remember, press star. Let's go. Let's go ahead. Questions. Press star if you want to get in the queue for questions. I think we got our first question queued up, Lieutenant Governor. And so I think he's ready. I think I'm recognizing Brian Russell for the first question. Hey, uh, good afternoon. Uh, One of my um, concerns, I guess, in talking with other small business owners is in this reopening, being able to uh, limit the liability that small business owners might face if someone makes a claim against them that um, they got coronavirus at that business because it reopened, like your local HEB or my kid's summer camp. Is there something we can do legislatively on that end? Yeah, Brian, look, that that is something, that's a great point that you make. And I'm a small business guy, too. Now, I have a radio station, so I don't have people coming in the door like you're talking about that most businesses have. Um, and that is the number one concern that, that has been expressed to me. I've, I have a task force on business, 80 different business people around the, excuse me, around the state. And um, that is the number one concern, getting customers back and not getting sued. And so uh, we're looking at the federal level. Of course, we're not in session now. Uh, we're looking at the federal level. I've talked to the to the White House about that very issue of giving blanket immunity to every business because it's not just getting the COVID. Let's let's give the scenario so everyone who doesn't own a business understands what Brian is talking about. Let's say just pick a business. You, you own a business where customers come in, and someone comes in and it's they're clearly coughing and hacking and sneezing, and you say, you know, I, I just can't let you in. Well, what do you mean you can't let me in? I don't, I don't have the virus. I didn't test positive. What do you mean? You know, so that's a problem. On the flip side of that, you let the guy in and somebody else says, wait a minute, what did you let that guy in for? And then they come down with COVID. They come back and sue you. So it's a real issue. And, and Brian, we're, we're, Washington's working on that. Uh, the Democrats are pushing back hard on it because they are supported primarily by trial lawyers. But um, to give businesses confidence, we're going to need to address that the best we can. And we'll do so in, 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 in session in uh, in texas you know and we get to session so it's a uh it's it's a real issue well thank you for addressing that lieutenant governor patrick um i think uh james Osolik, who's handling our communications has a, another question and i think we're going to ken next yeah we are we're gonna uh come to ken here in lubbock who has a question about uh churches and how much they're allowed to open so ken uh thanks yes. for your question you're live Hi, Ken. Uh, thank you for uh, taking the question. The question you I bet. have from KLBK here, they have been announcing that, uh, of course, the businesses can open with 25% capacity, but they're also including churches saying that. But we do not understand that in the governor's order or from anything we've read where there is a 25% capacity or whatsoever. In other words, churches are exempt. So I just want to clarify that. Yeah, boy, first of all, we started this off with two great questions. Uh, you're, you are correct. Uh, they are wrong in that. So, first of all, we listed from early on essential churches were part of essential businesses, and they could have been open. We never actually, the governor never closed down the churches in the state, but effectively most closed down because we had that order in that you must stream uh, if you can stream, and most churches can. So that, and most of the churches on their own followed that policy. But they're essential businesses. And now that we've changed it from must to should, you you should stream, but you can be open. Uh, you can be open at any number of people you want. 
as long as you follow, because you're an essential business, like a grocery store. They were ne- they're not limited, and so they're an essential business. Churches are essential. So if you're a, like there are these big churches, you know, that have thousands of people, well, they got big auditoriums and big sanctuaries. They're just got to spread the people out. They may have several hundred in there if they're spread out. And, and if it's a small church, you know, it's 150 members I mentioned before, and it's a small building, they're going to have to add services. So the key is for churches, there is no limit of 25%. Uh, it is you have to space out um, as social distancing. And if you can space those out on your floor plan, you can have as many people in there as you wish. Well, and if I may, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, um, you know, that was one of the things we keyed on first, noticing that that wasn't in there uh, because of the announcements yesterday and people thinking maybe that they were the same. And we verified that as well, too, from the highest sources, I will say. We've got a lot of great people that we're able to work with um, that serve in government, and we've been able to verify that as well, that the 25% capacity does not apply to churches. And so the great right. question, though, because I bet a lot of people yeah, – it's, it's a great question. Yeah, asking it's a great that. question. So um, I think we are trying to go. Next question, um, if, uh, James, if Tim Von Dolan is ready, I think that was our next question. We do have Mr. Von Dolan ready. Um, go ahead, Mr. Von Dolan. You're live on the call. Thank you so much. Governor Patrick, thank you so much for all that you do. We're so proud of all your efforts. Uh, thank you, we Tim. We're fortunate to, ha- to have the uh, leadership of the governor and attorney general uh, on recognizing that abortions as elective procedures uh, should not be continued, and they acted. Unfortunately, the Fifth Circuit agreed with them, but then that has now come to an end. It, it's amazing that uh, we have not had the opportunity to clarify how dangerous a chemical abortion versus a surgical abortion is, four times uh, more complication. So education is really key, and we need to look at that and how we make that happen. There's also an interesting book called The Dark Agenda by David Horowitz that's talking about taking away our Christian and Jewish faiths, and and we have to be cognizant that we're under attack. One of the things we really need your help on is developing a state program. We're working on it with the John Paul II Life Center, Vitae Clinic, an alternative education curriculum so that our medical residents – do not have to train and learn how to do abortions. And they're all forced to do that now. So we need a state law that, 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 that recognizes that we, if we have this education alternative curriculum, uh, that, that the medical residents are open for that. Is that something that you'd be uh, able to consider and, and help us with? Sure. I'm, I'm happy to look at that, Tim. You know, no one's ever approached me on that issue before. Uh, that I can recall, and I've passed most of the pro-life bills we've passed in the in the Senate, or maybe not most, but a lot of them for sure over the years, and as Lieutenant Governor, and uh, so I I don't recall that issue coming to me. Here's as I was listening to your question closely. Here's what here's two thoughts I had. Number one is it shouldn't be required because 99 percent of all doctors never perform an abortion. It's a, it's a, it's 99, probably and a half percent. I don't know what the exact percentage is. Very few doctors perform it, a handful. Uh, but maybe the reason they do it, and I don't know, I just have to investigate this, is in case there was some emergency 
were the life of a mother from an accident or something. They had to be trained. So I don't know the answer to that, but I'll research that answer. And I think you, I think you bring up a very interesting point. It's like, uh, you know, I applaud the governor and the attorney general, uh, and, and I joined them in this, that when we ended elective surgeries, there was this suit by, you know, the, the Planned Parenthood that, you know, they should still be able to have abortion. And I was on Fox right when that, that day that happened, that lawsuit, and I was asked about it. I think it was on Laura Ingram's show. And I said, I said, you know, isn't it odd to me uh, I, how, how they're reacting to this? Because they have made the argument. They've made the argument that an abortion is a woman's choice. Well, if it's a choice, that would mean it's elective surgery. And we prevailed. <laughs> so, so um, and it's, it's, you know, we have saved thousands of babies and around the country because of this, this time uh, of banning elective surgery. And it's sad that as we lifted the ban, because we have to lift the ban so people can go in to have other surgery, that unfortunately that allows abortions to continue, but, you know, under the law. But for a while, we were able to stop them. Great question. Remember, press star if you want to get in the queue to ask a question. There's still an opportunity to do that. And, yes, pro-life victories through this, uh, possibly 2,000 lives have been saved. Let's go to the next question. I think we've got Ann ready to go next and Bernie. Hi, uh, John. Hi, Lieutenant Governor. Uh, Thank you, first of all, for doing all you're doing. And I, I, I would like to know... I heard you talk about you are out and about, and yes, I know you're in the risk category. So my question is, are you going to con- are you going to go to church? Are you going to be out? And how long can we expect these uh, stay at home or stay out orders for people uh, over 65? And I'm particularly concerned about a friend of mine who's been married for 60 years. His wife is in hospice. He hasn't seen her since yes. March 15th, and you know. She's in kidney failure. She may not make it to where he can see her. What can be done about that? Yeah, thank you. And these are, I tell you, this is the, so the, not some of, these are the best questions I've gotten on the many calls I've been on. Um, and by the way, uh, Jonathan, so I don't forget, let on Tim's question about the, the, the training, let's, you know, one time, and we have plenty of time for a session, let's look into that and, look, and, and let's do some digging into that so we follow up. Uh, so, Ann. Yes, sir. So, Anna, you asked me a couple of questions there. So, number one, uh, I'm going to be at church the first day. Uh, Dr. Young, the Second Baptist in Houston, are planning to open on Mother's Day, and I will be there. Um, uh, again, I'm going to be – now, I'll, I'll, let me say this. If I'm out shopping and I go into a store where I can see, you know, maybe that's the kind of where we wipe down everything and we're being very careful and I see that they have masks on, I'll go into that store. And, and, if, and, and if I see their customers, most of them, not everyone has to have a mask. I mean, it, it is a choice, but most will. Uh, like when you go to the grocery store today, you see more people that have them and don't. But if I walked into a store and their, and their staff didn't have a mask and their customers didn't, I, I wouldn't go. And the same thing kind of to a church. If I walked into a church and, and I don't see them taking the proper precautions, I'm going to be smart and for myself and for my wife because I don't want to infect her when I come home or if she's with me. I don't want to expose her. So I'm going to be out and about, and I'm just going to be smart. Uh, How long will it go? Look, here's here's what we all have, the best that we know. Um, This is going to be with us for some time. Uh, You know, we have never, 
we've never found it. We all, we have all this talk about a vaccine. We're going to have it in a year. and It's going to be a miracle drug in maybe 18 months. We don't have a vaccine today to any of the major coronaviruses. You know, if you look on the back of your can of Lysol, if you look down the bottom, what it helps, it says coronaviruses. That doesn't say COVID-19 because it's the new one, but that it works on coronaviruses. But SARS was a coronavirus. It just kind of dissipated. And, um, but we never got a vaccine for it. And, and so we may not have one at some point. And hopefully this will dissipate over time. Or hopefully what we come up or with, I mean, we don't have a cure for cancer. I mean, let's put in that, we don't have a cure for cancer, but we have ways to treat cancer. So maybe we don't have a cure for this, but we'll have a way to treat it so that people can survive or live longer. So I just don't know those answers. No one knows those answers. Um, but this is going to be with us for some time. And uh, how much time, we don't know. Uh, and people are going to continue to die who are uh, particularly seniors and, and have serious health issues um, over a period of time. And hopefully, as we get more, our immune systems build up and, antib- and our, these antibody tests, that fewer and fewer people will be carrying it that will impact seniors. So that I, how long? Um, again, I'm not telling every senior. If you're a senior and you're healthy, Wear a mask and go out and go about normal life. Just don't put yourself in bad situations. But I know some seniors who have said, Dan, I'm not going out to get a vaccine. I mean, I've had a few people, Dan, I'm scared to death. I'm not going out. I understand and respect that, too. Um, uh, and people of faith, you know, they, they, they're faithful, but they're, but they're also concerned. And, and to your, your, your poor situation you mentioned to this gentleman, the worst part about this death um, is that people are dying alone. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. And we haven't seen those stories. I, I don't know if it's because they're so sad the media can't cover them. I mean, it can't, like, just emotionally would be tough. Plus, you know, you can't get close to anyone, so there's no video and no story and different things. But you've seen some of these photographs of people are separated by a window, a funeral service, someone given last rites, separated through a window. I mean, if you, if you get sick and you go to the emergency room now and you're a senior couple, um, and you go in the hospital and they keep you, first of all, your wife or your husband can't go with you in the ambulance. They can't go with you to the emergency room. They can't come and visit you. Uh, there's, a, there's a Methodist hospital put out this touching story of this person in Katy. They've been married 60-some years, and he got sick, and they couldn't be with him. And they, asked, they called the staff, and they asked the nurses and the doctors, please call, please call him Grandpa. Make him feel like we're there, but it, it makes me tear up thinking about it. And they and and that's the the terrible thing about this disease. And so that's why I hope we get to a point where we, if not have a vaccine, we have medicine that can treat it, and we're able to go and be with our loved ones, so that no one has to die alone. And so I don't know when that's going to be, um, but I know the the whole world's working on it. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor. We're working hard to get to these other questions. Member, press star if you want to be in the queue to ask a question. We've got several people that do. And while you're waiting, you might check out txvalues.org with some good information on there, but please be patient. Next question, we're going to go to, I believe, Steve. Uh, Steve Smith has a question teed up if he's ready. Yes. Um, good afternoon, Lieutenant Patrick. Hi, I appreciate, Hi, appreciate, appreciate your service. Thank uh, you. I'm switching subjects a little bit. Um, yep. I've been involved with um, uh, the Science Peaks since uh, early, well, 2005-ish. And uh, as you know, we kind of turned the corner with um, 
uh, and, and this is under the topic of uh, evolution and documentation. And um, we kind of turned the corner uh, of 2000, and um, we had strengths and weaknesses as a, uh, as a uh, peak. And um, it's slowly been eroding to where now we can do critical analysis. And, and uh, one of the reasons that we've had some erosion is because um, um, we, as um, believers in God, are really underrepresented at these, uh, at these meetings, although I, um, I think we have a good SBOE right now. Uh, still, they're under a lot of pressure when the numbers are uh, minuscule relative to the other side. So, um, so this year, we, we really went out and recruited some qualified scientists. Um, we, we've submitted eight or nine highly qualified people to be in these work groups. If you're familiar with the system, they create these work yeah, and, groups. And Steve, just so, because we have a lot of callers in line, so if you can either, uh, I, I don't want to rush you, but so you can get to the point and, or to your question or your comment so we can go no to problem. others and no I problem. can respond to you. Go ahead. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so, so the bottom line is we've got these nine applications in since January. They're already forming work groups, and um, these qualified scientists that we recruited from the public haven't heard a thing. And um, you mean from the SBOE? From well, really, I, I think it's from the TEA that we're supposed to hear. Okay. Yeah, come on in. You're in work group A, B, or C. Okay. And yeah, um, Steve, we've I we've reached out. Yeah. We've, yeah. We've reached out to the district uh, SBOE reps who review these applications, and, and they ghost us. It's just okay, well, uh, if, you, if you, yeah, Steve, if you would get get those names to Jonathan so he can get them to me, uh, and I will look into that. I don't know, you know, I just don't know when they were submitted. Was it early January, late January? I don't know what normal expectancy it would have been to get back with them. Would have been four weeks, six weeks, or. I just don't know. And, of course, once we got to uh, March 11th, everything is, is stopped. And so, uh, I mean, I, don't, I just don't have the answer to that. Um, and, and, you know, the, you mentioned that, but I'll, I'll look into it. Uh, the, uh, the issue of the State Board of Education and Donna Bohorich, uh, who, who was a homeschool mom, and she was my first campaign manager in Houston back when I ran for the Senate in 05, and, and uh, I asked her to run. She ran, and she became chair. She's an incredible job, but she's stepping down now. She's retired. It's a thankless job. It doesn't pay anything, and, boy, you get beat up every which way from Sunday. But she did a fabulous job. But, you know, we, the State Board of Education, I just want to share with everybody on this call, it's one of the most important elections that you could possibly vote in. And we have a lot of people, it's down ballot, that people don't vote in it. And we've got to get the best people in there, conservative, Christian, State Board of Education members, because right now it's about a, you know, it's, uh, I think we have one more Republican than Democrat. And um, so we have, to, and we have to get the right Republicans. And so when it's time to vote again, look at those SBOE elections. Thank you for that call, Steve. And we'll look into it. Get Jonathan the names. Okay, we're going to go. We're, we're going to keep rolling. we got several questions. I want to try to get Bud in for this next question, if he's ready. You ready, Bud? Yes, sir. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Thank you. Like everybody else, you and the governor are just doing a super job. Thank you. I have a situation that I am very concerned at, and that nationwide it's going the same route, and it seems that they're breaking the United States Constitution, and nobody cares. Uh, There's two in the state of Texas that I will be specific on. One, I understand, is the mayor of Austin, 
The second one is a judge in Harris County that are demanding that you wear a mask whether you think you should or not. Why don't they get the picture, and why doesn't Texas enforce it? Yeah, well, great question, bud. So when Linda Hidalgo, the the 29-year-old um, AOC acolyte in Harris County, um, who's a brand-new county judge, when she came out with that policy last week one day, I think I was the very first person that immediately put out a statement and a tweet and a post that I totally opposed it, as did Congressman Dan Crenshaw, who's a great congressman and a good, great friend of mine, as did Senator Paul Bettencourt in that area, as did a number of Republicans, and as did the, the, uh, the police unions, because uh, they, they didn't want to have to enforce it. And it was particularly egregious. It was a $1,000 penalty if you didn't wear a mask. And so, and, and what I, and I did a number of TV interviews in Houston, bud, last week. And I said, look, we strong, it's one thing to strongly recommend wearing a mask. It's a different thing telling people you must wear a mask from a government standpoint, and I'm going to find you if you don't. So uh, here's the good news. Yesterday's uh, press conference uh, in the executive order, and I, and I, and I brought it up, uh, for those of you watching the press conference, I said we are not mandating masks in the state of Texas, and this executive order overrides all these local issues. So, you know, you often hear, Bud, that, and this is, uh, you know, look, some people say after 9-11, we just, because we were so afraid, we gave up a lot of our liberties and freedoms. And, and now the same thing. And if you look, and I don't mean to be partisan here. I know we're all Republicans on this call. Uh, we're probably mostly Republican. Um, I, I don't try, I don't want to be partisan because this is a time for us to pull together like we did after 9-11. But the truth is, but if you look at America, every state, every county, every city that has these draconian orders are coming from Democrats, not Republicans. And it's coming from Democrats because they believe in government caring for you for everything from cradle to grave. They believe in big government. They don't believe you can think for yourself. And it is, it is a responsibility of myself and the governor and every elected official, R or D, to protect life. Of course, the Ds don't understand that about abortion, but to you know, your safe public safety. I mean, public safety, I mean, it's a serious thing that we take. But it's not limited to just safety only. It's safety and liberty. We put our hand on the Constitution and the Bible that we, when we're sworn in to protect the Constitution of the United States. And when that New Jersey governor up there a few weeks ago, when they asked him about the Bill of Rights, and he said that was above his pay grade, I was on with uh, Tucker Carlson next night. Just said if it's above his pay grade, he needs not to be in government. So it's a fight, bud, because in times like this, it's easy to erode the Constitution through fear and through a media that 90% of them are supporting those kind of ideas. That was a great response. I'm going to see if I can get to one or two more, Lieutenant Governor, if you can hang with us. Eric, you're up if you're ready. Next. I am. Thank you so much. Governor Patrick, as a Texan and as a U.S. citizen, thank you for your boldness, for being a, a solo voice of reason early on this overwhelming bureaucratic overreach. Uh, Thank you. What can we do or what else might you do to speed up a needed opening? Because it is not hurting people. It's as bad as a flu. But And I have lots and lots of business clients. They are almost on the verge of bankruptcy. I mean, it takes several more weeks to slowly and orderly open this up. 
that, that hurts. So ideas from you or things that we can do, places we can go to to encourage people to move this and expedite it through. Yeah, it's, look, it's a great question. And um, as you said, back on March 25th when I was on with Tucker for the first time, and that was just early on this, I said we could do these two things and we need to get back to work quickly. And, um, and we are finally there again because we've been blessed in Texas. Uh, we're not New York. I mean, we have a hurricane here. We don't ask New York to shut down. And I realize hurricanes aren't contagious, but but what's happening in New York has nothing to do with, with us. And um, and so I'm glad that we're starting this process. Uh, some of it, to be honest with you, is, is driven by, um, you know, what doctors tell us. And uh, they don't they don't run the show, uh, but we do listen to their advice. And uh, and so they're they're. You know, the, their Hippocratic Oath is do no harm. They're going to be a little bit more cautious than you as an entrepreneur or myself might be. Um, and so I think, we've, I think we've struck the right balance. And, and um, I sure would like to have seen barbershops and salons open up. i got to tell you, I need a haircut. And my, and my wife says, I've got to get back to the salon. It's been two months. But, um, uh, and I think that's going to come pretty soon, uh, you know, uh, maybe before the next step, which is May 18th. Uh, don't quote me on that, but we're, we're hoping the governor and I have talked about that earlier today. And, and so we're, we're trying to be prudent, but we get, we're going to you know, get moving as fast as we can. And we're, and we're leading the country. Georgia opened up last week with some things, but not as broad as ours. So, and we're doing it because the people of Texas have been great team partners. I, I, I said this on – and, Jonathan, I'll close with this because I know we're running against the time. And, by the way, look, this has been fun for me. Uh, and interesting for me, and I've had great questions. The reason it's fun for me, I feel like I'm going to talk radio again. This is why I used to don't talk radio again. Of course, I didn't always have this many callers on some days. So this has been good. Um, but I, I talked about this today on, on Fox. Uh, I don't think I talked about it on this call at the beginning. Of the watering hole. And this will go to the point you've made, and it will be a good way to close this out, that we all know what a watering hole is. You know, in the old days, that's where everyone wanted to get water. And if you didn't go, someone went and brought it back to you. And today, the modern-day watering hole is a grocery store. Every one of the 29 million people who live in Texas has been to the grocery store since we locked down or live in a house where someone went. They brought food home. Every one of the 350 or 60 million people in America have been to a grocery store in the last two months or live in a house where someone has. And except for New York and New Jersey, we didn't see this huge outbreak we didn't, and in the early days, there wasn't a lot of social separation. There weren't a lot of people wearing masks in grocery stores. The grocers didn't have shields up and some, you know, to protect the, the checkers. So I think these people have been unsung heroes. Here's my point. We have already been together in our local neighborhood grocery store at the watering hole together and bringing whatever we got back home. And we didn't overwhelm the hospitals, and we don't have sky-high death rates. So if we can all go to the grocery store like we have been, like normal, with exception of wearing a mask and maybe, you know, and hopefully spacing ourselves out in the, in the, in the produce department, wherever. But if we've all been there, why can't we all be in every store? Why can't we go everywhere? Um, no reason. We've all been to the watering hole and we've all brought it back to our home. So there's no reason I think when we go to the movie theater or to the restaurant or to anywhere else, as long as we continue to behave and appropriately and be careful, like we have at the grocery store, and, and while these businesses also operate like the grocery stores have done, there's no reason that all these businesses can't be open, and that's why 
with the exception of a few yesterday, and again, I think they'll be addressed quickly, with the exception of a few, we've opened up everything. And, uh, and I know some people are not happy with the 25%, and I understand it. That was the first step we decided. And the reason I know they're not, they're not happy is because I used to be in the restaurant business. I wasn't very good in it, but I used to be. And quite frankly, if I can only open 25%, I'm not making any money. My waiters aren't making enough tips. So I got to pay them more salary, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not making any money. But it was a first step to get – we got to get that first step to get people feeling like, will they go out? I mean, I don't know how many on this call. How many of you are planning to go out to dinner on Saturday, the second night they're open? I don't know. Are you comfortable? The key is you need to be comfortable, and the businesses are going to have to kind of work into this. And I think in a very, very short time, um, we'll be back up to closer to what Texas was like before this all happened. But we're going to have to go through some, some growing pains here for a few weeks. But I understand the bankruptcy point. I understand the businesses are barely hanging on. I totally get it. I'm a small business guy, and uh, and that's why I've been pushing this for a long time. Hey, Jonathan, thank well, look, you for having me. Governor, yes, sir. Thank you. Before we lose you, we want to remind people they can support us at txvalues.org. In order to do these, it's nonprofit donations that we rely on. How can we pray for you, Lieutenant Governor, in our state? Um, when we close out in just a few minutes, how can we pray for you in our state and your team? Thank you, Jonathan. It's the most important thing. I'm a person of prayer, and I, and I believe in it. So I, I, I pray, pray for the president, the governor, myself, the attorney general, our, our leaders. And I always pray this for myself. So if you pray for it, it doesn't mean more people are praying. That we have supernatural words, because we need more than our own. Supernatural favor, because we need more than, than our own. Supernatural wisdom, because we need that from God. And most importantly, the courage to act on that. You know, I used to just pray for supernatural words, wisdom, and favor. And someone said to me several years ago, well, Dan, doesn't do any good if you don't have the courage to act on it. God will give you the words. He'll give you the wisdom. He'll give you the favor. But if you're too hesitant to go out there in the world and follow, then it doesn't do you any good. So words, wisdom, favor, and courage for all of us and for all of our pastors. Because all of our pastors, see, I, I told the pastors today, but some of you may be on the call, that they have the hardest decision of all. Businesses are going to want to be safe for you, but they're going to look at this and say, you know, I, I'm opening my business because I've got to make a profit, which is good. We're a capitalist society. We've got to make a profit so they can pay their people and stay open. But pastors, they're not in it for the profit business. I mean, they've got to have enough collections to make the, you know, the church work and pay their employees, but they're in it to save souls. And what they, what they don't want to do is put people in danger. And so they got a hard decision to make. So pray for our pastors. who We always ask to pray for us. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our pastors. We, we need those prayers. Thank you. God bless you, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Thank you for being our guest today on the Town Hall. All right, Jonathan, well, and we'll follow up on that uh, that Tim mentioned on the legislation as we get to the next session. Uh, the, the other gentleman, um, I forget his name. I didn't write it down. I think it might have been Steve, who um, about on those people submitting into the uh, EA. Can you get that to me? I'll follow up and follow up with him, and I will get you some of these guidelines on the churches that you can post up on your website or send them out however you wish. Yes, sir. We will do that. Thanks. Thank you. All right. God bless well, everybody. Stay safe. If you like the work we do, if you like what you heard today, support us at txvalues.org. In order to have these kind of calls and these efforts, we need your tax-deductible nonprofit donations. 
txvalues.org. Make a donation today. We're going to bring on our resident pastor, Pastor Jorge Tovar, to close us out. And I know the lieutenant governor had to go, but we're going to pray for him in spirit, even though he's not with us. Pastor uh, Tovar, if you're ready, we'd love to have you come on and close us out in prayer. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you and we worship you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we always, Lord, will, will always come to you in every single need. We always come to you, Lord, just to thank you for the blessings that you that you have for us, Lord, in our families. So we come to you always also, Lord, in the bad times to thank you and praise you and be encouraged by your strength and your spirit and your presence, Lord. We now, Lord, we, we take before you, Lord, the lieutenant governor, the governor, and all the, 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 uh, the uh, leaders in our state, the leaders in our, in our cities, the leaders in our nation. We, 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 we bring them to you, Lord. We have been praying for them every single day, and I know you heard our, our prayers. You heard our plea. Lord, we ask that you give them wisdom and you give them, Lord, the, the, the courage, Lord, to, 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 to do whatever they have to do, Lord, to be able to be a blessing to your people. We thank you, Lord. We, we, we praise you and we worship you. Bless every one of their families, Lord, and bless everyone that is in the front line, Lord, battling this disease, Lord, that has come upon us. Reach out and, and give wisdom also and courage to the pastors that they may be the leaders in your community, Lord, to lead on, Lord, hope and strength, Lord, and courage. And we rebuke the fear that the virus has come, have placed upon our lives in every single family, in every single household, and rebuke it in Jesus' name. Lord, we come before you because we, because you, Lord, are the only ones that we can come to to save us, to intervene. And we shall give you the honor and all the glory because we know that you always hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And we sincerely apologize, Travis, Hanson, Dana, Monica, Jean, Angela. We didn't get to you. We got to many questions, more than we thought we would, but we know we missed some of y'all. Y'all are hanging on. Send those questions to info at txvalues.org, and we will work to get them answered from the Lieutenant Governor's team. And if you like our work, please support us at txvalues.org. As I mentioned, we've got 12 members of our team. We still have a budget to meet, uh, families to, to support. But the work you're supporting us for faith, family, and freedom. We think this is the best investment you can make for those values in the state of Texas. Go to txvalues.org and make your tax deductible donation today for our work. And we'll have updates again on our website and our social media channels where you can count on us to take care of and to support and defend the values of faith, family, and freedom in Texas. God bless Texas. Talk to you again soon.